Welcome to part two of this podcast on female athlete health with Dr. Nikki Key. In the first podcast, we covered some misconceptions around periods and we went into some detail around the phenomenon that is red S or reds. So without any further delay, we'll go back to some clinical questions. For the clinicians listening, let's say they've got an athlete in front of them with some of the manifestations that you've, you've covered off there. Let's say they've got something like a stress fracture, which I guess mm. is a bit of a red flag. Uh, what's the workup that you recommend? What investigations are needed? Well, I mean, the first thing, red is a diagnosis of exclusion. So you're do, you would do investigations, number one, to make sure there's nothing else going on that could account for, uh, for example, amenorrhea. Uh, and also doing investigations helps you stratify, you know, see exactly uh, where they are on the scale of reds, if you like. Um, so in terms of a female presenting with amenorrhea, so uh, six months of, of consecutive months of no periods, um, then just sort of basic investigations, you need to uh, identify whether this is ovarian or a hypothalamic pituitary issue. So from FSH and LH and estradiol, from those three hormones, you'll be able to tell whether it's an ovarian problem or a hypothalamic problem. So um, if all three are low, then that's uh, pointing to a hypothalamic problem. Uh, and you would then go on to do prolactin as the next thing, just to double check that you haven't got a microprolactinoma. If FSH and LH are raised and estradiol is low, then obviously you're looking at an ovarian issue, um, uh, ovarian insufficiency. If the FSH, LH and estradiol um, are normal-ish, then you're looking more down the PCOS track. And so for the PCOS, you'll be doing <clears throat> testosterone, uh, maybe 17-hydroxyprogesterone to exclude DHEA, <coughs> sorry, to, to exclude congenital adrenal hyperplasia. But going down this track, so basically the really thing, crucial one is FSH, LH, estradiol, because then you'll be able to partition them in, into that sort of decision tree diagram. Uh, but going down the track of uh, the low FSH, LH and estradiol, and the prolactin is normal, uh, then the next blood test to look at would be the thyroid function test because we know that uh, thyroid, uh, abnormal thyroid function can disrupt menstrual cycles. But if all of those are sort of leading down to this pathway of, of exclusion, you then come out with functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, which would be in keeping uh, with REDS. Other general tests that I would always do, I would do a full blood count just to see what's going on there. The hematinics, uh, ferritin, B12, folate, just to see what's going on there. Vitamin D, pretty important. Um, I found recently in, this, in a study with cyclists that was a bit low. Um, but I would suggest, because um, that's a lot just saying words, um, if you look on the Bayesian website that I wrote uh, called Healthful Performance, I put in there that little flow diagram of the hormones for establishing the cause of amenorrhea and also a suggested list of tests, uh, blood tests that you might do for reds, as you quite rightly say, if um, the person has got long-standing amenorrhea, and certainly if they've obviously if they've got a stress fracture, then uh, definitely you should do a DEXA. I would say to establish uh, the Z score, and it's the Z score that the IOC says is important. So Z score is age matched, 
and you're looking particularly at the lumbar spine because that's trabecular bone and you're looking actually at the differential between the lumbar spine and the femoral neck femoral neck tends to not to be so uh, adversely affected because that's cortical bone anyway the z score of minus one or less the ioc of the lumbar spine the ioc say is a warning sign uh, and or two or more stress fractures uh, then you've definitely established there's a a bone health issue going on there. So, um, sorry, that was a very whistle-stop tour of some <laughs> suggestive investigations, but if you look at the Bayesian website, then um, I've listed those and that will hopefully make a little bit more sense. I don't envy you having to answer that question because I know that it's it's a complex topic. Um, as you said, you've written the, uh, the the section on the on the BASM website, which we will provide yep. in, a, in, a, in a link at the bottom of the podcast in the blurb. And we'll also provide a list of all these resources uh, in a BGSM blog as well, um, because I know full well, having uh, you know, having looked into this a bit myself, the flowchart diagram that you mentioned, which shows the axes and how the blood tests relate to the various um, endocrine axes, it makes a lot more sense seeing it visually. It seems like the crux to the issue is really this uh, imbalance between energy input and output. Is that what's at the core of management? I suppose if you're really, really boiling it down, okay, you can say, oh, it's energy in and energy out. At its really basic level, but I would be very, there's going to be a lot more going on. It's like, why is this person, the psychological overlay is crucial. You know, why is the person, sometimes if someone unintentionally, like I described and I found in my cycling study, unintentionally didn't realize that for example, cycling, you know, going out on four hour cycle rides every day, you know, that takes a lot of energy and it's actually quite physically difficult to feel on the bike, even if you load up your back pockets with bananas and I don't know what. So, you know, the unintentional low energy availability is, is a little bit more straightforward to, to support and explain because once you explain to them, actually, uh, you know, it's because simply they're not fueling in a consistent way. Uh, because it's not just the total intake, it's the distribution of that energy over the day, as shown by a very nice study by uh, Anna Mellon in this field. Uh, inconsistent fueling during the day also has a, an adverse effect on hormones, increases cortisol, decreases testosterone in men, estrogen in women. So if the person just simply hasn't quite got the timing of their, their nutrition right, or they don't quite realise, then that is a relatively more straightforward uh, person to assist uh, and support to returning to uh, you know uh, full health uh, but the psychological overlay of the uh, more intentional uh, reds person it's not there's no, you're not going to help them by just saying if you just say eat more that's not going to work <laughs> eat more train less that's not going to work you've got to find out you know what's holding them back what's put them in this position so it, it needs a little bit of careful discussion what's going on and and tailoring for the individual i the simple answer is yes you have to address training load and nutrition yes but uh you have to approach that for the individual find out what's going on there are psychological many psychological factors uh, involved i'm just writing up a study that i did with dancers you know there's the psychological drivers, why have they ended up in that place? Because it, you can't just do a quick fix, um, you know, otherwise they're just going to revert to what they did before. 
so you have to find out what's going on, try and change their behaviours. It's all about changing behaviours. And that's what we found again in our male cycling study, presenting them with, um, you know, evidence and supportive strategies to get to overcome that. Um, turning on to your, so that's sort of the general management plan, you know, find out what's going on with the person and try and give uh, suitable advice and support. And I often uh, seek the advice of uh, my clinical dietitian friends um, uh, for more detailed advice on that, on that topic. Uh, but you mentioned stress fractures, and I think we should definitely uh, maybe move on to that. And uh, an athlete uh, who's got REDS, you've come to that conclusion they've got REDS because of the clinical history, because of the, all the investigations you've done support that, and they've got a stress fracture. Uh, and so basically they have now suffered a clinical consequence of REDS. So, of course, you have to do the management appropriate for a stress fracture, but it puts even more priority uh, and urgency on addressing low energy availability because, uh, you know, the bones are showing, showing signs uh, of, of, of suffering, literally. So um, if you feel convinced, this is how I approach it. If the athletes, uh, if it's a woman, if I feel that actually we can get her periods going quickly and she's nearly there, then that is the best thing uh, for to address the energy availability and in the case of women restore menstrual function. However, if that realistically looks a long way off, there are psychological barriers to uh, getting to that situation of sufficient energy availability, or the bones are so bad in the sense that the Z score is less than minus one, and there are two or more stress fractures, a history of two or more stress fractures, then actually the IOC recommend that this is when we should consider pharmacological intervention um, and this should take the form of transdermal uh, HRT so transdermal estrogen um, and cyclic progesterone to produce a withdrawal bleed um, it, not the combined oral contraceptive pill uh, and this is the evidence for this comes from a study by um, Dr. Kate Ackerman a colleague in America um, who showed that actually taking the combined oral, oral contraceptive pill in uh, amenorrheic athletes, it doesn't, it's not bone protective. Uh, and it's also against the guidance of the Endocrine Society for functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, because if you put, give, put someone on the oral contraceptive pill, you're now masking what's going on with their internal hormones because you get a withdrawal bleed. So everyone feels better psychologically. It's like, oh, you're having a bleed, but actually that's not a reflection of what's happening with your periods. And also the mechanism of action of the combined oral contraceptive pill is to shut down the hypothalamic pituitary axis. So you're, so you're sort of aggravating the problem. You're, you're just uh, making that, perpetuating that situation. So that is um, a summary. Uh, so yes, address the low energy availability, but uh, it's not as quite as simple as just eat more, train less. It will have to be with some careful uh, discussion and behavioural changes. Um, pharmacological intervention is indicated for uh, women uh, in those situations of the Z-score less than minus one and or two or more stress fractures. Um, and that type of HRT is what's recommended. Um, 
Of course, ultimately, it's always going to be restoring the energy availability because even with HRT, although you're going to improve estrogen, that's not going to improve, like I mentioned, the downregulation of the thyroid axis. And we know thyroid hormone is important for bone health. So it's just a temporizing measure, uh, but at least it's better than, you know, if you're in that really bad situation. In fact, I was speaking to an athlete just this morning who is in that really bad situation, really bad bone health um uh, and stress fractures uh, and it's like actually yes we do need to address energy availability but in the meantime at least if by using hrt we can protect the bones to some extent in terms of the management of, of, of reds and uh, you know the various things to consider i think that's a brilliant overview um as we've mentioned before we can link listeners to some of the resources you've mentioned there such as the IOC consensus statement, which, yep. as, you, as you've mentioned and alluded to a few times, puts the kind of the multidisciplinary team and the athlete right at the core of um, of, of the approach, um, mm-hmm. and also then provides a bit of a diagram and a traffic light approach to the return to play aspect. I think one thing that's worth covering um, as we kind of come to the end of the podcast is you consult internationally and you're clearly passionate about making sure that it's not just medical professionals that are aware of REDS but the likes of athletes and coaches themselves. Um, What challenges do we face in this regard and and what needs to be done here? Well, as you say, it's a multidisciplinary approach. So there's me as the the doctor or whoever, you know, there's the doctor, there's the athlete and dancer themselves. They're obviously at the center. Um, But uh, I also, the clinical dietitian, uh, really key part of the team, Uh, the coach themselves. Uh, I uh, lots of the times I, I speak with the coach and the athlete together. So there's no point me saying to them, well, actually, I think you need to uh, decrease your training intensity. It's the training intensity that's really tricksy. But then it's like, please do multidirectional loading, strength and conditioning for the bone health. Because even if they haven't got a stress fracture yet, <laughs> we know uh, that their bone health, you know, will be a bit uh, will be will uh, be adversely affected by low energy availability so speaking to the coach is key and saying look just for the time being uh, you know this athlete and the athlete is there and it's like so we're all in agreement we're all on the same page just you know let's go easy on the intensity let's put in that strength and conditioning multi-directional loading um, and we found that was very helpful in our recent study of male cyclists those that didn't take on board uh, the advice about nutrition and do the multidirectional loading, they lost bone density um, by 2% over six months, which is exactly the same as an astronaut in space loses. Whereas those that took on board, uh, you know, uh, our advice and, and management strategy and looked at the, their fueling strategies, the timing and also did multi-directional loading, they improved their bone density. And not only did they improve their bone density, they improved their, their cycle performance, the number of race points they won. So that's the carrot for the athlete. Um, but bringing on board everybody like that, and of course, depending on the age of the athlete, the parent as well. Um, you know, I always, if the athlete is happy or the dancer is happy, involve the parents as well, because it's got to be um, that uh, teamwork. And also, it's it's a it's it's a strategy, it's a plan for the for the re, you know for life, or for the rest of their well, literally for life, not just the sporting career. So it's not it's not necessarily a quick fix. And so athletes, if I you know the 
uh, athlete that restores her menstrual periods, obviously is super keen. It's like, oh, fine, now I can go back to full-on training. It's like, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> please make sure you've had at least three regular periods and then gradually, in a stepwise progression, talking with the coach, you can start to increase your training intensity. Um, you know, so that's the other thing. It's almost making sure that they're going to, it's going to be a, something that's going to, uh, to work uh, for the rest of their sporting dance career and ultimately their, and ultimately their life rather than the quick fix thing. Also made a course recently for coaches working with female athletes to raise their awareness. So the coaches are seeing the athletes, can they pick up on those warning signs? Um, you know, that's really uh, important. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, and looking forward, that's exactly the way to go. Like you, you outline raising awareness and, uh, getting everyone on the same page. I think that's a perfect place to, to end the podcast here. Um, we'll make sure that we flag up all the resources you've mentioned there to our listeners. Um, but I just like to thank you, Nikki, for, um, for your time, uh, today. I mean, I, I don't envy uh, the tasks that you've had in terms of covering such broad um, topics um, but I mean from the first minute that you've managed to, to you know bust quite a few myths around surrounding Red S um, and you know to finish with flagging up some really valuable resources for our listeners um, I think they'll really appreciate that so thank you so much for, uh, for your time um, and I know that people can get in touch with you um, on social media as well yep and I've got my own uh, website um so uh, uh and i've written lots of blogs for the bmj so um yeah plenty of stuff to uh get stuck into and yeah happy to answer any uh further questions information whatever yes thanks for listening to this bgsm podcast you can find links to some of the resources mentioned in the soundcloud blurb of the podcast and in a blog that we'll put together on the bgsm website just search Female Athlete Health in the BGSM blog homepage. Please do get in touch with us via the usual channels if you have any questions or suggestions about future podcasts. But in the meantime, have a great physically active day.